This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases, to historic kidnapping, to gangsters, and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lease. On today's episode, on a Murder Monday or Murder Tuesday, whatever you want to call it, we dive into... The 1994 Brutal Murder of Karen Lynn Stiles. But of course, we got to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible is a massive library of audiobooks from every genre. They've got everything from the latest bestsellers to those old classics you've always wanted to read, but just never got around to it. And they've got a huge range of genres. Romance, mystery, sci-fi, fantasy, whatever floats your boats. It's super easy to get started. All you need is an internet connection and a smartphone or tablet. You can listen at home, at work, on the train, during your commute, while you're walking your dog, you get the picture. It's endless content for endless moments in life. Get a free three-month trial and a free audiobook of your choice at audibletrial.com slash Larry21. Without further ado, let's dive right into today's episode. Trigger warning. This this episode contains graphic details of sexual assault and may be disturbing to some readers. James Thad Stiles and Catherine Stiles were married for 14 years before Catherine gave birth to their only child, Karen Lynn Stiles, on July 28, 1972. The Stiles family lived in Candler, North Carolina. Karen brought absolute joy to her parents. When she was around nine months old, her mother would place her in her car seat next to her father, Thad watched the San Francisco 49ers on television. When football legend Joe Montana joined the 49ers in 1979, Karen, then seven, watched Montana's first game and was already a football expert, telling Thad he's going to be a good quarterback. Karen was a beautiful, kind-hearted, intelligent young woman who deeply loved her parents. She graduated from Inca High School in 1990 and received a Bachelor of Science in Therapeutic Recreation from Western Carolina University in 1994. In high school, Karen was an honor student and belonged to several clubs and organizations. She was also on the track team and yearbook staff. During college, she worked three jobs and still made the dean's list. Karen worked at a Girl Scout camp during the summer of 1991 and was certified in ropes course and rafting. After college, Karen landed a job with a state-run boys wilderness camp in South Carolina that expanded to include girls. She was supposed to help develop the program. Karen was very excited to start her new job, where, quote, she would be on seven days on, off seven days, living in a platform tent with a sleeping bag. Karen returned to Candler in early August 1994 after completing a 12-week internship 
at a Montana wilderness camp. She worked part-time at Maurice's in the Asheville Mall. Karen, 22, loved the outdoors and often went biking or jogging in, apologies for saying this wrong, Pisgah National Forest with her friend Jennifer Olive. She was in excellent shape. On October 31st, 1994, Karen was scheduled to work at 2 p.m. and decided to go for a morning run before work. Jennifer usually accompanied Karen in biking or running, but she was unavailable that morning. Karen put on a t-shirt, running shorts, and shoes, then jumped in her white four-door Plymouth Reliant and drove to a forest trail in the Bent Creek area of the Pisgah National Forest owned by the U.S. Forest Service. Her parents never saw her alive. When Karen had not returned home later that night, Thad and Catherine reported how missing reported her missing to the police. The following day, police found Karen's Plymouth Reliant with keys and wallet inside in a parking area at the head of the Hard Times Loop Trail. By 10 p.m., more than 60 searchers scoured the recreational area looking for the missing jogger. Their biggest fear was Karen developing hypothermia as temperatures dipped into the 20s that night. The next day, the car door key Karen kept on her, on her during her run was found in the dirt along the trail 200 yards from her car. Search and rescue dog teams found what are known as hot spots, indicating her scent in the area. Karen was known to have run, but they led nowhere. Divers searched the dam end of Lake Powhatan and found nothing. Authorities spent several days searching for the missing jogger. Her parents distributed missing person flyers with Karen's picture and description all over the area, but nothing brought them closer to locating Karen. Police theorized that she'd likely been abducted and taken out of the National Forest. Around 10.30 a.m. on November 13, 1994, wildlife officer Tim Sisk found a bloody t-shirt and called federal authorities, who remained tight-lipped on the discovery. It is unclear if it was confirmed to be Karen's, but the search for Karen would come to a grisly end. Deer Hunter found Karen's partially clothed remains down a steep embankment off a dirt service road about a mile from her car around 1.30 p.m. On Friday, November 25th, 1994, she was still duct taped to a small tree. Teams had already searched that area, which left some wondering if Karen's body had been placed there afterward. However, the dense, steep terrain prevented authorities from finding her. The deer hunter had been about 100 feet from the body earlier and did not see it. Karen's body was transported to North Carolina's medical examiner's office in Chapel Hill, where identification was made through dental records. The autopsy determined she died from a single gunshot wound to the head. Due to decomposition, the medical examiner could not determine whether she had been sexually assaulted. Karen's parents were de devastated over the loss of their only child and never lost hope she would be found alive. On Tuesday, December 20th, 1994, police arrested Richard... Alan Jackson and charged him with first-degree murder, first-degree rape, and first-degree kidnapping. While investigators never said what led them to Jackson, they stated he confessed to killing Karen when questioned. On the day of Karen's murder, Jackson drove to the Bent Creek area around 8 a.m. He said he had hoped going there for several weeks. Jackson was sitting in the parking lot in his father's station wagon, looking at pornographic magazines, when he spotted Karen exiting her car and stretching before her run. Jackson grabbed his gun and some duct tape and followed Karen on the trail. Approaching her with the weapon drawn when Karen realized what was transpiring, 
She begged Jackson to take her car and money and not hurt her. Instead, Jackson led her off the trail into the forest. He duct taped Karen to a tree and covered her mouth with the duct tape. Jackson ripped her shorts and underwear off and raped her. Then he stepped away, grabbed a pornographic magazine, and masturbated in front of her. Reports also say he shocked her with a stun gun multiple times. Karen managed to remove the duct tape from her mouth and started screaming. Jackson shot her once in the head, killing her. Jackson did not know Karen and did not stalk her before her death, police say. Jackson was married with two small children when he was six years old. J.D. Jackson Jr. and his wife, Sally Jackson, adopted him after fostering the boy for several months. J.D. Jackson, a well-known real estate broker, said he and his wife raised Jackson with good values and a loving environment. Jackson graduated from Asheville High School and left home shortly after his 18th birthday. He later married Jerry Donna King, and they had two children together. J.D. Jackson bought Mount V Restaurant in June 1993, and Jackson worked there as a dishwasher. People described him as a good person who always spoke kindly of his wife and kids. The restaurant was only a couple miles from Lake Pohonton. Jackson had a minor, minor excuse me, criminal past involving a trespassing conviction in 1989 and traffic violations. A North Carolina state jury convicted Jackson of first-degree murder, first-degree rape, and first-degree kidnapping. He was sentenced to death on November 22, 1995. Three years later, the Supreme Court of North Carolina vacated Jackson's convictions and sentence after determining that the police violated his Miranda rights when interrogating him. After police questioned Jackson and Karen's murder, he told his father, quote, They told me I did it. They pounded on me. J.D. Jackson clarified that his son meant verbally, not physically, and that Jackson was distraught. His father could barely understand him. Jackson also told his father that the police would not let him use a phone and that he did not need an attorney when he requested one. Newly elected Sheriff Bobby Medford claimed Jackson voluntarily showed up at the station for question, which lasted about 45 minutes. Medford said he was cooperative and it was a friendly atmosphere. However, the court ruled in 1998 that Jackson's confession was inadmissible and should not have been allowed in the original trial. Furthermore, when Jackson asked for a lawyer during questioning in 1994, his interrogators should have listened. Medford was one of the men who questioned Jackson. The court ordered a new trial. However, shortly before the second trial, in 2000, Jackson pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and related offenses. The state court sentenced him to 25 to 35 years in prison. According to Jackson appealed the decision citing new Supreme Court decisions on crimes of violence. On April 20, 2022, a three-judge U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit ruled unanimously against an appeal by Jackson. The court concluded he should face the death penalty for murder. Um, ruling, quote, he contends that the government failed to prove that he committed a crime of violence. He is wrong. The jury unanimously found Jackson guilty of federal premeditated first-degree murder, which constitutes a qualifying crime of violence. Accordingly, we affirm the district court's denial of Jackson's successive 2255 motion. Jackson is currently in a federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. Authorities believe Jackson might have been responsible for two unsolved murders similar to Karen's, although they never charged him. Beverly Sherman 
17 was shot in the head on January 20th, 1987. Her friend last saw her at 4 p.m. entering a small yellow automobile driven by an unidentified white male behind the Asheville Civic Center. Police found her body on April 26, 1987, near the top of a steep hill on Vance Gap Road. Pamela Michelle Murray, 23, disappeared on Valentine's Day, 1987, from the parking lot of the Asheville Mall. Her body was found later that day on an isolated section of River Road near the Asheville Recreation Park. Pamela's vehicle was used to transport her there, and she was shot while attempting to flee. Her killer later returned the car to the mall's parking lot. Sheriff Medford remained in his position until 2006, when he lost to Van Duncan. Medford was a corrupt cop who pressured witnesses for testimony on his own detectives to make a case. Sometimes, on flimsy evidence or witness accounts in murder investigation, according to the Asheville Citizens Times reporter John Boyle, Medford died in federal prison in June 2020 after contracting COVID-19. He served 12 years of a 15-year sentence on corruption and extortion charges for accepting bribes from illegal video poker operators in exchange for allowing their business to operate. Karen's father, James Stiles, died from cancer on November 25th, 2010. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below on this case. As always, if you want to support the channel, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, and hopefully take this show on the road. And as always, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and give us a review on iTunes, Good Pods, or wherever you get your podcast from. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleep.